great recruiter, aside from being a good doctor. You know, it was a wild rap party and he was there. Uh, yeah. is really So welcome everyone. Uh, thanks for coming out on such a, uh, a cold evening. Uh, on a point of personal privilege, we want to wish happy birthday to Mora Barbara. Uh, and, uh, it's, a, it's typically a minute of Israel. Uh, when there's a uh, when a when a great rabbi uh, comes to visit uh, and somebody else is giving shir, you acknowledge them. Uh, in my world, um, uh, friends friends are the dearest thing and the closest things to great rabbis. And having my dear friend uh, Stuart Berger visiting uh, from America, and I'm embarrassing him to death. And he'll find somewhere to hide. Uh, uh, there are very few things. There, there, are, there are very few things in life that are greater treasures than than good friends, and um, I'm not going to embarrass Stewie any further. Just to say that uh, if all Klal Yisrael had friends like Stuart Berger, uh, Yeshayahu would walk through the door uh, along with Eliyahu, and we would now have uh, a very different story to tell. But this week um, we we uh, work on Perak Yud. Now we actually last week uh, those who weren't here. We uh, went with the approach that said that uh, the very first psukim of Perak Yud are actually uh, belong to Perak Tet because it's back on the issue of the corruption in the government. Um, and so, as we said before, uh, the uh, structure of the prakim is not ours. Um, and so, um, we're going to begin. 
which is something that we wind up doing here quite often, is uh, finding out that things aren't where we think they are supposed to be, and things are not quite the way they appear to be. Um, so tonight's topic uh, is Ashur. So let's read a little bit together. You can scan there. I'll read from my Tanakh, which I've discovered is a much better idea than trying to read off that screen. Uh, I'm learning something. Uh, I'm sorry? Can I maximize it? You want to try and do that, Josh? I'm So, uh, just in terms of historical background, this is relatively speaking somewhere close to the year 722 BCE. We know that because uh, uh, we're talking about Ashur, and we're talking about Ashur somewhere around, or Assyria, uh, somewhere at the time that they've uh, already destroyed uh, the Kingdom of Israel, and uh, they're on their march. Uh, in a very uh, high state of mind, uh, imagining that they're just going to pluck off Yerushalayim. And uh, here comes uh, Yeshayahu saying, So, those of you who uh, have been here from the beginning, will recognize Shalal, Shalal Baz, one of uh, Yeshayahu's sons, his eldest, his uh, second son. No, his first son, his old, eldest son. Hmm, yeah, right. He's number two. Uh, no, Shayashuv is the uh, eldest, and he's the, he's the second, right? And uh, the point that Yeshayahu is making is uh, he's speaking out to the arrogant... Uh, King of Ashur, who at this point uh, may be Sanchiriv, may be Sargon, his predecessor. Um, and he's telling them uh, that uh, they are beyond arrogant. And that a Kodesh Baruch Hu is going to Efkod al prigoda levav melech Ashur v'al tiferet urum enav. This is an arrogant king, and we're going to speak a little bit more about the level of his arrogance and why that's so important. But the man, let's say at this point, imagines himself to be supreme uh, and beyond uh, any power or reach of God. And so here is the gorgeous, the gorgeous phraseology and the simplicity of Yeshayahu, of course, speaking the words of Hashem, but in his own way. And he says, he says to this uh, arrogant of kings who thinks that there's nothing that stands in his way, Uh, is it really make any sense? Is it logical uh, for a uh, hatchet um, to be proud of uh, of its handle? Does the saw uh, have any uh, particular virtues? 
Um, does it independently cut down things in front in front of it? And Yeshayahu goes on uh, here to in this very first segment, which we're going to stop here, and then move to the to a discussion of it. Um, he's basically saying to the king of Ashur, uh, "Don't you understand? Everything you're simply a tool in God's hand. That's why you're here. That's why you've done all of this." Now, just to give a little bit of background to this before we uh, focus the lens in a little bit before, a little bit deeper. So I said 7.22, so if we go back to Malachim Bet, Perak Yudchet, so we have Rav Shakei, who's the uh, commander, who's one of the commanders in the Assyrian army. He's coming and he's uh, standing on the walls opposite Yushalayim, uh, and, he's, and he's really giving the, uh, the soldiers uh, and Chizkiyahu a piece of his mind. He's telling them, How dare you uh, trust uh, in Egypt to help you? How dare you trust in God? Uh, you guys are uh, you, you, you're, you're in a lost cause. And then he says something that he will pay for dearly. Um, uh, he says, It's God's will. Uh, I, Rav uh, am speaking the name of God. Uh, as it were, and I'm telling you that I know, maybe he heard Yeshayahu speak <laughs> a couple of weeks before, I don't remember because sheer, but in any case, he says um, uh, I'm going to conquer this land and I'm going to destroy it. So the level of arrogance, the supreme arrogance here, is really why um, we find Yeshayahu uh, speaking to put Assyria in its place. So if we look at some of the Mephorshim just briefly to get a sense of what the words are and also what stands behind the words. So, Hoy Ashur, Hoy, uh, says the Radak, <coughs> we spoke earlier when we, when we began Perak Aleph, that Hoy is sort of a sister term to Eicha, uh, and sometimes it's just simply declarative rather than speaking in terms of uh, something that's painful or, uh, or something that, that's regretful. Lashon Kriya, so there's a call. So why is the call, the, according to the Radak, why, why and what is Yeshayahu calling out? Uh, he's, Radak reads it very simply that, that Yeshayahu was saying, listen, I'm the one who called you over here. I brought you to come to Israel and to conquer it, and now you're acting as if you're doing this all on your own initiative, as if you're really the boss, as if, as if you're some kind of uh, great hatchet that's self, a self-wielding hatchet. Now, the Malbim here is a little bit more subtle, in, in a certain sense. He says, So here you see the, the Malbim unraveling uh, some of the simile, um, and he says to him, uh, you have no recourse uh, to be uh, a government or a force of your own. You're not independent. Um, Whatever it is that you're doing, you know, you, have, you don't have unlimited power. Uh, it's all about the power that I've given you because I've given you a particular uh, mission to accomplish. Adds Rashi, uh, Certainly the king of Ashur doesn't understand his place, so to speak. Here's something completely enlightening and shocking. According to Rashi, the entire mission of Ashur was never to kill anyone, was never to take anything except to take booty to take the money. 
It was all about the money. This will come back later um, when we wonder about uh, the place of Ashur and why they're so severely punished. Uh, I thought I'd add this piece before we move on to the second part of the shiur, which is really the meat and the question that I, uh, that I offered uh, when, when I posted the shiur. Uh, so we know that the, that the Assyrians are entirely uh, self-confident. Uh, we know that they think that they're running the world, um, and they are they are running the world. They are running the world, and with the possible exception of Egypt, uh, they're the greatest conquerors of the world. They are, in some ways, the world's first uh, empire that uh, and conquers all. So um, most of them, Mefarshim, really most of them, Mefarshim, both classical and modern, all believe that the Assyrians were idolaters, that they were pagans, um, except for, and this is really fascinating. It's, it's interesting what you. There's a this rabbi in uh, in New Jersey, uh, New Jersey. I'm sorry, in Hallandale, Florida, Eddie Davis, uh, and he had a wonderful column in his weekly uh, 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 blurb that he wrote to Shul. Things I discovered while looking up something else. <laughs> so when I was nosing through Bobby's copy of Yeshayahu, I found the Dat Zekenim in Baleatosfot, which doesn't <laughs> appear in any of the resources I had. Uh, so I'm paraphrasing here because Art Scroll has it in English. Um, and what he says, uh, essentially, is that uh, the Assyrians were not idolaters, that they really uh, they believed uh, only in themselves, uh, which is either better or worse, uh, depending on your point of view. Uh, but if we're really trying to, to highlight and pinpoint the fact that this is all about uh, taking Ashur Shevet Api, is all about the idea uh, that they think that they're an independent power, independent of God and everyone. So uh, we get an answer along those lines. Uh, those of you who have never seen this before, we don't have a Bosco, we have a Ben Cole. <laughs> so the Ben Cole asks the following question. Uh, Hannah's not here tonight. I always ask it in Yiddish for some reason. Um, I'll ask it again in Yiddish. We'll, we'll keep Hannah in mind. Be'emes Yishayel hot geret special zumashul favos. So this is a very small but very large question. Uh, why in the world is Isaiah, one of the greatest prophets in Jewish history, um, likened to Moshe, put in a class all by himself, why is he talking to the Assyrians? And as long as we've got a bit of time here, and it's cold outside, <laughs> um, here are a couple other questions to think about as we move forward. Is he speaking to Ashur directly? Does, does Yeshayahu visit Sancheriv at any point? No. Or Sargon? No. Did they ever actually hear his prophecy? We intimated before that perhaps uh, Rav Shakeh was paraphrasing something he may have heard from Yeshayahu, but we don't know that to be true. Is he using their arrogance as an object lesson that was intended for the years of the arrogant leaders of Shomron at that time? Maybe. Does he truly care about Sargon, the scourge of Shomron? or about Sancheriv, the nemesis of King Chizkiyahu. The, the, the question that I'm begging over, I, I've been waiting for this year for a couple of months, because I'm thinking to myself, really? I, in a moment, actually, I, I'm, I'm impatient with this, so I, I'm going to just put it out there, and, and I'll, maybe I'll repeat myself in a, in a couple of minutes. But what we're going to discover here in this year, if we don't know already, is that it's not only Yeshayahu, it's not only Yonah, who we know who spoke to Goyim, right? It's not only Moshe, who actually did go to power to speak to him, okay? 
Uh, we have entire segments of Sefer Yirmiyahu, Yeshayahu, and Yecheskel, and most of Ovadiah that are addressed specifically and entirely to the non-Jewish world. Yes, yes. Thank you. Hoshea as well, yes. What's the point of that? Why, why, why I, I mean, we're not, we're not interesting in proselytizing. We're not interested in, in making everybody Jewish. We'd be very happy if everybody followed the seven Noahide laws. Why in the world is, is uh, Yeshayahu, we're, we're going to have, we have, I think, what, one or two more chapters before we enter into almost a tenth chapter span, which is in the center of the book of, of Yeshayahu, as it is in, in a major part of Yechezkel and a major part of Yeshayahu, that take up these nuvot, these prophecies, to the non-Jewish world. Why do we care? Uh, certainly in a time when people don't look beyond their noses, it's very interesting that God sends uh, a, such a great poetic prophet to, to speak to them as he would speak to the rest of Israel. Unless he, he's just speaking to Israel. He's speaking that to them and he's speaking to us. Basically to explain what's going on. See, this is why it's fun giving the shirt. We, we're just getting warmed up. You see how smart everybody is here. Um, <laughs> And then, I mean, it's sort of a silly question, but what's really so awful and repugnant about the arrogance of rulers who made themselves into world conquerors? Basically, why does God care about this? And speaking to Mora Barber's point, is there a larger lesson here that teaches us about the larger scope of Isaiah's prophetic message? Now, uh, these latter questions will come a little bit more relevant at the end, but uh, for those of you who are uh, wondering where we're heading or just uh, have a level of curiosity... There's a surprise ending to this chapter. Um, there are one of two ways to reading the end of the chapter. One is, just seems to follow the flow. The other one is we suddenly fall off a cliff. It has to do uh, with uh, the Halavanon Badiri Pol. And uh, the question that we're asking here is why are the rabbis concerned with the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash uh, in the middle of Perak Yud and Sefer Yeshayahu? Was a serious failure to destroy Jerusalem. Uh, those of you who are here from Malachim Bet, or if you've learned it on your own, know that the great siege that Rav Shakeh was so uh, was so positive was going to end in an absolute obliteration of Yerushalayim failed overnight. Um, and um, why are the rabbis taking us back to the destruction of Yerushalayim and telling us that this has got something to do with Perak Yud and Sefer Yeshayahu? Okay. So this is some of what we were just, uh, I got impatient about, so uh, uh, bear with me while I just review this and refresh my own mind about this. Um, so Jewish prophets and their prophecies unto the nations. Why are we speaking to the nations? Well, uh, one way to think about it is this is an unprecedented confrontation with an empire that conquered all of the known world. It's also our first experience of exile. That raises the very important question, if you're living during those times, who is running the world. If you imagine yourself uh, Jewish somewhere in World War II, Jewish somewhere in World War II, Jewish pretty much any time in history, when the world is shaking, one of the things that you've got to ask, you, as you say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokein Hashem Echad, hopefully not for your last time, you're wondering, who's running this show? Um, so here comes HaKadosh Baruch Hu speaking through, uh, uh, through Yeshayahu and say, Hayit Pa'er HaGarzen, 
uh, is it really do, do, do people who uh, who are the great tyrants of history, whether they're Stalin uh, or uh, anybody else that you'd care to put in that place, um, uh, do they really think that they're running the world? So this chapter, Perak Yud and Sefer Yeshayahu, is really a retort to that. And it's a, a, it's a lesson for all time for any sort of tyrant saying, really? Is that what you think? I would also ask you, those of you, we're going to go back to the topic of leadership again, because I'm absolutely drunk with it, but this is leadership, anti-leadership. This is the other side of the coin. These are people who are tyrants running the world, thinking that they're running the world according to some ethic that suits them. Uh, and so Perik Yud is really not just another interesting Perik in Yeshayahu, it's really a statement for all times uh, to all the tyrants of the world. Um, and uh, the way that I, I thought we might think about this a, a bit is that our destiny is to preserve the Abrahamic characteristic of anti-Ubris. Everything that Ashur represents, anything that any tyrant in history has represented, is the ultimate of human Ubris. Well, everything about Yiddishkeit is to say, uh, no, <laughs> we have to be humble. Uh, the world starts with the Rebbeinu Shalom. Our part in the world is to act in response to that. Is it any accident that the father of all the Nevi'im, I mean, who's Yeshayahu's Rebbe? We, we've been joking a bit out from the beginning. Who's his Rebbe? We said it might be Shlomo Amal. Well, if you look in Pirkei Avus, it's very clear, uh, and any other place in the Rambam's 13, Yud Gimomidos, that Moshe Rabbeinu is the father of the Nevi'im. Is it any accident, really, <coughs> that the father of the Nevi'im is also Anav Mikol Adam? God chose the most humble of human beings to give his message to all these tyrants of the world, possibly. Taking us back just uh, to have some fun, it's always good uh, to have things that we've learned already, uh, to be able to uh, pair them up and see the, the, just the gorgeous uh, literary talents of, of Yeshayahu. So in this week's Perak and, and Pasuk Tetzayin, Again, these incredible plays on words. So uh, Yeshayahu creates the imagery of Ashur being absolute, if you think about the handle of the, uh, of the uh, axe, or the handle of an ancient saw being made out of wood, uh, the metaphor that he offers here is he says, listen, there's going to be a great fire that's going to consume uh, that in one moment. Remember what we learned last week in Paraktet, in Pasuk uh, Dalid, Vaitali Srefa Macholet Esh? So we've said last week that why, why was Yeshayahu using this language? Because it was like uh, a, a, the, the quickest and the fastest fire that, that left no flame, left no dust, Everything about Ashur vanished overnight. Um, and so, you know, if you talk about how the mighty have fallen, uh, here's, here's an emperor who thinks that he's running the world, and within minutes and within moments overnight, literally, I'm sure you remember the song, uh, in the middle of the night, uh, <laughs> uh, they were goners. So get down to my bar here. Mm. 
I had my grandson uh, set me up with, uh, so you, you're just going to have to imagine this because I don't seem to be able to access it right now. Um, um, but Mordechai ben David uh, singing Anachnu Maminim B'nei Maminim. So you can just imagine that as we, uh, I've corrupted the page here for a minute. So the continuation, going to Pasuk Chaf, verse 20, Vayah bayom hahu, which is something that repeats itself at least three times in this chapter. Vayom hahu means, anybody want to take a shot at it? What does Vayom hahu usually mean in, uh, in Tanakh language? Day of, day of judgment. Minimally. Hopefully Mashiach. So the second part of the parak. If you remember when we when we uh, when you had the entire parak out there, um, there was a break in the middle, and the break happened right around Pasukhav, and here Yeshayahu switches subjects. He breaks off from tearing apart Ashur just for the moment, and he speaks about Lo Yosef Od Sha'ar Yisrael Uflitat Bet Yaakov Lishayin Al Makehu Vinishar Al Arinoi Kedosh Yisrael Be'emet. So if you look at the screen, just at the words there, look how many times the Shoresh Shin Aleph Resh, Sha'ar, 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 <coughs> the, uh, the remnants of Klal Yisrael, right, um, are, are, going to be, are, are going to be saved, Al-Tira Ami, uh, don't worry, uh, and, and the last Pasuk is just everything about Jewish history. L'chein ko amar adinoi Elohim tzvaot, Al-Tira Ami Yoshev Tzion Me'ashur, have no fear of Ashur, Bashevet Yakeka, Umatehu Yisa Alecha, Bederech Mitzrayim. The reference here, I believe, is that this is all of Jewish history and, and it's contemporaneous and, and, and so relevant today. Yes, we will be oppressed. We will suffer. Bad things will happen. The nations will raise their, their staff. Hoyashur Shevet Abi. Hoyashur, the rod of God's wrath, uh, we're going to get clapped. We're going to get we're going to get our pension, so to speak. We're go, we're we're going to struggle, but at the end of the day, by Yomahu, lo yosifot shall Yisrael v'tapet Yaakov lishain amakehu. First of all, the suffering is going to stop, but here Yeshayahu is really, really speaking not only to uh, back in time to Achaz, to Yisrael but also warning the rest of Yehuda and saying, there's something really wrong with you. You're suffering from a very peculiar kind of Jewish arrogance. And that expresses itself um, in this very weird kind of thing where you are relying on the hand of the person that's hitting you. I mean, anybody who's read a Holocaust history, you think about the Judenrat and, and everything that went on. How many times in Jewish history um, do we get into this peculiar mindset I'm not going to make any political comments, where the people who are oppressing us, the people who are giving us the hardest time, uh, the, our politic becomes one of appeasement, and if we can only make them happy, if we can get them, quiet them down, you know, uh, somehow things will get better. Um, in giving this year, Rabbi Benny Lau had a, had a, a one-liner that I, that I memorized. He said, There's a level of Jewish arrogance in depending on other than God, 
uh, that won't allow uh, Ephraim, certainly not, uh, to survive. And ultimately, as they say here, Lo uh, that's not a good philosophy and not a good politics for Klai Israel. Uh, the Ran, uh, who's mostly known to most of, most of us in, as, a, as a parshim in the Gemara, has a very famous sefer in the world of Machshava called Rashot Aran, which are literally supposed to be his Shabbos drushes. Um, uh, we'll come back to this a little bit later, so you want to pay attention here. Uh, and he likens uh, the business of, you know, we're transposing this um, onto, um, onto our parak. And he says, um, why, why, do, why does Ephraim, why do the Jewish people uh, need to suffer? He says, Kamal Arufe, we've got our doctors here, so he's talking to us about physicians. Amlakuti, uh, uh, he's talking about uh, uh, healers who are not God. So what does a good doctor do if there's an infection? Well, he opens the infection, he drains it, etc. You really can't cure an ailment, at least in ancient times, without opening the wound and, and trying to heal it. Hashem is the one who brings the Yisurim. It's not Ashur, it's not anybody else. And if you're depending on the person who's brought you the malady, um, you're being infected uh, by uh, something that I call uh, the Jewish malady of, of faith that's uh, some kind of uh, Stockholm Syndrome. Uh, where we wind up identifying with our oppressors rather than figuring things out uh, by, by doing tshuva and the like. Uh, finally, in this section, I wanted to turn to the Radak, who also has something to, have, to say about the simile about, uh, uh, well, this would actually be a metaphor, right, Bob? To lean on the people who hit us. It's really not a very helpful idea to hope that you can bribe your way through Jewish history. God doesn't ask anything except for loyalty. The point of all of this is to be able to, when we have difficulties in life, to deepen our faith in our Kodesh Baruch Hu and lean on, lean on me, you know, lean on Hashem. So when we follow the end of the story with Chizkiyahu, uh, what gets Chizkiyahu out of this impossible corner that he found himself in? He wouldn't, he wouldn't, he refused to make a pact with, with, with Israel, with his brother nation Israel. Uh, he stood alone against Ashur, although he did send bribes, but according to the uh, according to the Radak, uh, that's what saved him. So part of Perikud uh, speaks to the issue of how the Sha'ar is able to get through, and they get through by changing their dependency from other nations on whatever uh, to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Now. Um, 
it struck me when I was reading this this parak um, that uh, one of the themes here is one that's developed in Divrei Ayomim and a pasuk that most of us say in davening every day. And it occurred to me that this really puts us in a very peculiar state of awareness. Chapter 10 does. Because uh, chapter 10 uh, says to us that we need to be able to relate to the, to the non-Jewish world. Our prophets need to speak to them. And in some ways, uh, the goal of that is After all, we are part of the nations of the world. Um, we, you know, we are we are brothers to everyone uh, who uh, lives under the sun. But yet, in Parshat Hazinu we say, So there's a bit of a paradox here. So where do we really belong? Are we supposed to be relating to the non-Jewish world? Are we supposed to be separate from them? Do we have a shared destiny? Do we have different destinies? Okay? So looking very, very briefly at the Mepharshim in Divrei Ayamim, what does it mean, listen to the way this resonates uh, with Perak Yud. I call this returning glory to its rightful owner, uh, not Melech Ashur. What are the Goyim supposed to do? What are they supposed to give God? So he says, We're supposed to give the glory to God, not to the king of Ashur or anybody else. Says the Radak, this is hilarious, I thought. Um, is, is this the one? No, wait. No, this isn't the one I wanted. It's a, it's it's along the similar vein as is is the parish before. Yeah. Uh, it, it's actually the Al Shachakash that I wanted, so, <laughs> but, uh, but the Ralbag here, we'll come back to the Ralbag too. So, as opposed to King of Ashur, who thinks that uh, he, he gets uh, what to give unto Caesar and give unto God, uh, no, uh, it doesn't belong to him uh, because everything about. Mishpachot Amim's future, if they're going to be part of the Mishpachot Amim in the, in, in the days to come, it's all about their ability to recognize that God reigns supreme in the universe. Uh, and then the Ashachach Kodesh, you can, you, you'll see why I was eager uh, and, and giggling about getting here. Look at what the Ashachach Kodesh says. We'll do our jobs. Uh, we'll fulfill our destiny as being, uh, you know, the, uh, the uh, uh, part of Mishpachot Amim. By talking about God's glory, we'll, we sit at, at the Pesach Seder, we celebrate Tu Bishvat, we, we appreciate nature, and etc., right? Etc. Omer ve'amar, havul Hashem mishpachot amim. V'hul omar, alt im tiru shelo kol hamim yishmu lachem, lashuv liyot mimenu yitbarach, v'lo me'lohehem. If you're really into this, and you feel like you're a light unto the nations, don't get upset if you haven't got the job done. He says, God doesn't really care, says the Asher HaKadosh, if, uh, if you were unsuccessful in convincing everyone uh, it, to believe in, in one God. So, why mishpachot? Mishpachot are really small. They're some families. I mean, they're certainly large families, 
but why mishpachot amim? The Alsh takes that to mean, no, it could be a, it, it, it could be a mishpacha of goyim. That's fine. It doesn't need to be everybody. Uh, but as long as, and here's the criteria, right, uh, that that they're giving on to Hashem, kavod v'oz, v'lo oz bilvad, no one else except. Uh, the the Malbim understood. I'm sorry? What? The Republican family. Republican family, yeah. Look at the Malbim. The Malbim says in the midst, middle there where I highlighted, he says, So the, uh, the, the Malbim is, uh, is offering us some philosophy here. He's saying, what does it really mean, kavod va'oz? What is that really, how is that, what's glory and, and strength? What do the words mean? This is the Malbim classically parsing out uh, each word in its own way. So he says, uh, uh, what, what's, what, what is oz uh, and what is, what's, what, what's kavod? He says, you know, the other nations believe that there's, there is a god, there's a bore, but they don't really believe in hashkacha pratis, and so uh, they, they, we don't really, not all the nations believe that there's divine providence, and so the Malbim says that the kavod va'oz that we're looking for and looking forward to is that a Kodesh Baruch Hu, uh, will be recognized not only as the Bore, as the creator of the world, but God is active in history, is active, active in our lives, etc. Uh, so Yudi and I had an interesting time with the Tzitzkasatzadik this week, uh, and I nearly fell out of my chair. So the Tzitzkasatzadik is Rav Tzadok so here's Rav Tzadok. Um, now Rav Tzadok is a fatalist. He's one of the two great Jewish philosophers. He's a chassid, but there's Chizkas uh, as well, who goes along and says that you know everything that everything is predetermined. And in this particular segment here, he's talking about leadership and predetermination pre leadership. And he ends this essay with saying something that, um, I, well, you'll judge it for yourselves. Look at the bold print. Now, the, the connection to our Pasuk is that all of the Bayomahu, 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 we said, comes to Judgment Day. So, what does Rav Tzadok think that happens on, on, on Judgment Day? What's Rav Tzadok of Lublin's uh, vision of what the Judgment Day looks like? What does it mean that God's light? We spent. Right? What's the great enlightenment that happens on the Day of Judgment? What's, what, everything will suddenly be clear, and everyone will have to admit. Who will have to admit? The Anu Amen, Bal Korcham, the Mishpachot Amin, right? That at the end of days, what really happens is that all the nations... And that's what part of what, what Yeshayahu in Paragud is referring to, is that when, when Ashur gets its, uh, its just due, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes care by Yomahu of the remnants of Klal Yisrael, uh, then all the Goyim have to stand up and they have to say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is doing judgment and he's giving the Jewish people exactly what they really finally deserve. There's, there's a, uh, uh, a commentary uh, a, a contemporary one on on Sitka Satzadik, and he and he writes He's quoting the Mitsudos. Everyone will see the great justice and the and the clear justice of the redemption that's awaiting the Jewish people. So what's that? Or Sitkat Bnei Israel. It's not just the revelation of God; it's a revelation 
of the sanctity and the devotion and the loyalty of the Jewish people that everyone will see. This is the, you know, he's speaking to the, uh, speaking to the uh, Kabbalistic bent of Rav Tzadok Milublin. All the nations of the world and all their the representatives, we believe that all the nations have their uh, emissaries in Shemayim, they're not going to want to. They're not going to say, you know, we see that Jews have a third base on Mikdash and they're happy with their Moshiach and there's, you know, we're dancing and there's great, uh, there's great unity amongst Jewish people and they're going to be forced, it's going to be forced out of them to say, Magia lachem mishpat oravetova. So, uh, all of this, and then there's more just before we come down to the, the end here. So, uh, at the end of the parak in Pasuk Lamed Bet, we have one of the most famous psukim, or most famous images, in all of Tanakh. We have uh, the, the general standing behind Rav Shakeh, uh, waiting, he's, he's destroyed all the north, northern towns of Israel, he's destroyed the kingdom of Israel itself, he's waiting to, to, uh, uh, on Yerushalayim, and, and he's standing somewhere north of Yerushalayim in a city called Nov, which you remember from the Davidic days, and he's got his hands up, and he's already marveling at what he's going to accomplish as he just whisks the Jewish people of Jerusalem off the map. Says Rashi, So the, he's very excited. He's waiting for this moment all along because his soothsayers have told him uh, that, that you know, this is his destiny. The theme of this parak. They're arrogant, Hayit Pa'er. He is in a great state of arrogance. Vichi Alir Kazu Higasti Alalu. He says, Really, he takes a look at Yushalayim from the hilltops and he says, Really, this is what I came to deal with? This is a Gurnish. They'll be gone overnight, except the opposite will happen. Says the Radak to add uh, the, 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 uh, uh, the the okets, as we would say here, the the thorn uh, in in the Assyrian mindset. You know, faith yadal Yerushalayim ki adam hamevazehadavar. He's completely so arrogant. He's 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 speaking of, of Yerushalayim. Our holy city is you know it's it's a nothing. It's, what what it's he's he's he he gives it no no dignity at all. Amar einzu nechshavet beinai ki kamayavot. Compared to the other great cities, this is Jerusalem. What's Jerusalem? Right? And so uh, that's why he's going to get it over the head. Now, I said to you, uh, 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 Rav Maidan had a beautiful, a beautiful, uh, did some beautiful work with the imagery. He asked, so, uh, look, you know, the image, right? He's standing there and he's motioning with his hands. This is, this is a nothing. Well, where in Tanakh do you see people with their hands motioning in a way that really means something? It's Moshe and Aaron against Mitzrayim. And, and so Rav Medan is saying, if you want to really get God angry, uh, all you have to be is some tyrant somewhere in the world using the same motions with hand motions that would be apropos to Moshe and Aaron uh, and thinking that, you're, thinking that you're somebody, right? Okay. Now, I said that there was a surprise ending uh, to, the, to the chapter, and... Uh, uh, the ordinary meaning, or the most regular meaning, is vahal vanon vadir yipol. So the 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 the, uh, 
the straight way to learn this, or a simple way, the Levanon are cedars. Cedars are a metaphor for things that are the highest, mightiest trees, right? So what we're anticipating is that the, that the fall of Ashur will be like a great tree that's felled in the forest. We'll hear the, the, the collapse in this case. Levanon shu shem yar beretz Yisrael. Badir is the Malach who's going to knock it down. Um, we'll skip the, 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 the Shemona Prokim Rambam for the moment. And go to a Gemara in Gitin, which um, is really uh, uh, the part of the uh, rabbinic answer to this chapter that really surprises us. Um, and basically what the Gemara says, I'll sum it up uh, outside so that we can finish on time, is that Levadon Badir Yipol means that only a great power uh, will be able to fell Levanon. Levanon is a euphemism for the Beit HaMikdash. It's a play of words on the word Lavan because it's the place where this, the black sins of the Jewish people uh, uh, turn into... Uh, in, uh, into uh, the the white uh, that uh, shows up on the Chutat Chelet outside the Beit, um, the uh, the Kodesh Kodeshim. So, why in the world would the rabbis do this? Why would they take a chapter that could have ended on a perfectly high note of saying that the king of of uh, of Ashur will fall, and why did they say that that this is a, a representation uh, of the Beis Hamikdash? We'll see an answer uh, afforded by the uh, uh, by the Chida in a second, uh, but I just want to go back and sum up before we finish here. So we asked a question, and we've basically afforded uh, four probable answers. We asked the question: Why is a Jewish prophet speaking to Goyim? Why is he speaking to an Assyrian king? And so we saw, in, in as said in in the Ralbag, on the pasuk Efkod al. Um, and we spoke about it in, in terms of the Rabag's commentary on There's something about a, a mortal king, a mortal man, standing as if he were God over the universe, that God simply cannot forgive. God is not going to ignore someone who does that. In history, if you think about history, um, people who thought that they were gods of the world uh, suffered badly. They did great damage to our civilization, but ultimately history has had the last word on them. We're still here, they're not. But that aside, there's something on a spiritual level that's absolutely repugnant to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and he deals directly. If we want to know why is there a nevuah, why is there a prophecy, Ruach HaKadosh coming to Yeshayahu ben Amotz to say, Ashur it's because Ashur and the kings of Ashur thought that they were gods. That's a great affront. Um, the second reason why is because Perk, uh, uh, Yud, as we saw in the text, has any number of references to Biyom Hadhu, the Day of Judgment. There's no din without Mishpat. All the kings of Ashur, all the people, all the tyrants of the world have to pay the price. There's no din without Mishpat. We said everything, this is, uh, those of you who've been here for a while, we've said that everything about, this is a slight twist for us, Everything about Sefer Yishayahu is about social justice, tzedakah mishpat. Here it is on another level where God has to do tzedakah mishpat. God has to end the end of days before there can be a geulah. There's no Yom Hadin without mishpat. Um, we learned in Parshat Hazinu uh, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes nekama, 
God does seek vengeance because when when people uh, cause the Jewish people to suffer, every drop of Jewish blood and every Jewish tear that's ever been shed in world history is accounted for. That's what mishpat means. That's what divine justice means. And when you talk about Bayomahu in Perak Yud, um, God is going to send a prophet out to warn the nations and tell them and warn them about their arrogance and their tyranny. Because in their tyranny, if they were supp supposed to just take bribes from the Jews and they weren't supposed to kill Jewish people and make Jewish um, men uh, uh, lose their wives and, and Jewish women uh, become widows, uh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't forget that. And finally, there's no such thing as Igula without Tzedek. And that's a double-edged sword. And this is Yishayahu in, 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 in a double dimension, in four dimensions. Yes, Yishayahu wants us to do Tzedakah and Mishpat, but he's also telling us that there's no Bayom Hahu without Hashem doing Tzedek and Mishpat. That's the way it works. We'll end off here uh, tying into next week's um, Perak, the uh, writing in Chomat Anach, the, uh, the Chidah says, uh, referring to the Medrash and the Gemara, uh, that Levanon is about Churban Beit HaMikdash. So he says, Amnam lo chalu rachamav. So even according to Chazal, who, in, the, in the Gemara, who believed that uh, uh, Levadon Adir Yipol had reference to the Churban Beit HaMikdash, nonetheless, pay attention to what next week's chapter is, Perak the prophecy of uh, the coming of Mashiach. So, who is the last man standing? Who is the boss? Okay, so as we learned in Shmuel uh, Aleph, uh, when uh, Shmuel spoke to uh, King Shaul, And as the Chida said, Amnam lo chalu Thank you all for coming. This, this redemptive uh, chapter tells us that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu finishes with Bayomahu and he brings the Nechama, he brings the uh, consolation, and he takes care of um, the, the Sha'aramo, um, he remembers all the things that were done, and at the end of the day, uh, there's no limit to God's compassion, and that's why he's going to bring us next week's chapter, that there will be a, a sprout uh, f coming forth from the, uh, the limb of, uh, of Yishai, the house of David. Uh, next week, Amir Tashem, we will read probably, uh, if not the most famous, uh, certainly one of the most stirring prophecies of Yishayahu about what it means for Mashiach to be with us. I hope that uh, we get joined next week, not only with new faces, but maybe with Yishayahu uh, introducing us to Mashiach. Stay warm, guys. Have a great week. Thank you for coming. So, so um, the yes.